Oh, hi, I'm Kay Hanley. I'm Greg Barron. And you're listening to Rock Out With Your Doc Out. Rock Out With Your Doc Out. This week, man, oof, this one. This one. <laughs> Hopefully you watched it and you'll, because it's going to be hard, It's this one's going to be hard to talk about. Yeah. A little bit. Biggie and Tupac. Biggie and Tupac. The 2002 film. By Nick Documentary Broomfield. by Nick Broomfield. Yeah. If you don't know who he is in the movie, you didn't watch the movie. Because yeah, he's the filmmaker who is in the movie for no reason. He just likes, he wants to be time. part of the story. Yeah. I got, <laughs> but then there's a part of me like in a weird, surreal world. I wish he was always entering the room before me. Like I'd like to come in. That's what, if well, I have an entourage. Like, Here's a boom microphone yeah, just and, want, a micro, I want an and a to burst tape recorder in the room. purse. Yeah. Yeah. Must be Greg Barron on the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> these guys here in his... <laughs> His documentarian, his documentarian has entered the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's here in his uh, with his fucking <laughs> his boom. Why does he have a boom mic? What is that? A, is that uh, a? Bo- is he and shooting? It's like, oh god! <laughs> is Greg shooting his thing on VCR? Is that a videotape? Are you videotaping your show? It looks like he's. <laughs> I get all that. This, these are only forty-five minutes long. Is that on Betamax? <laughs> is that a Betamax machine around your yeah. hip? Well, Rick brought us some coffee, so let's get talking about our documentary. You got it. Wow. stand up we're not hiring white hosts no so, yeah no more white men no white men nope that's it we're yeah. done that's what i mean one of the clubs i think it was flappers was like that's just we're not doing it and wow. he was like okay All i'm right. gonna start making some other arrangements yeah <laughs> for, for your career you mean yes yeah that's it yeah will yeah. you hire us as hosts for the restaurant part of this place that's right what is the you can yeah. see people yeah but you just can't get on stage you can't get on stage and host a show Right. right, you can't bring other people up on stage. Right, um, um, but you can escort them to the stage, I to the table be, next to the stage. Yeah, and I've been studying the history of white people with true well with our history. So you start to go, we've been doing it wrong for a long time. Yeah, we've been really. Yeah, when you go back and study your history, you're like, man, nobody has a leg to stand on. You're like, you know, when you go back, it's not even that far back. You don't even have to go that right. far back to go. Yeah, that you should just go back and look at the relook at the Bible again, or or how any of this happened. You know, it's all, we, we all, everybody lives in this sort of, we've boiled it down to like, these four facts will work for now. There were more <laughs> animals. There were lots more animals. There mm-hmm. was lots more people. We like, when we came west, we wiped out everything. The animals, the brown people. Yes. The plant, the indigenous plant life. Right, 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 right. But right. we brought smallpox and whiteness. That's right. That's right. But what did happen is that we also created food that people wanted to eat. Right. We created calories. McDonald's. Yeah. But I mean, even before then, people before got started getting McDonald's, fat once, was there once, food once America started that? harvesting wheat and all the, once it, right. they started and all this, now spices were all over the place. Yeah. Caloric food was like a, is like a fairly, like so really. So everyone had like a plant and protein, like a plant and animal based diet. Right. Right. And then we started introducing carbs. Legumes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then we started with the cheeses and the milks and stuff. And (gasps) stuff started to be worth living for. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) After we got, after everyone had syphilis, which Columbus. 
He brought that too? Yep. That yeah. must have been on yeah. the R-rated version of the history books. Because I didn't hear, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, no, that's- in, I mean, in, it makes sense. Yeah, it's in truth. Like, that's the thing I'm realizing, like, going through this stuff now, it's like, it's in the books now, it wasn't. I, I think it's uh, uh, because of Howard Zinn, but I think there's a, there's yeah. a lot more truth and a lot more depth in the history books that right. are now. Obviously, there would be, I guess, because more time. Did you passed. ever read um, the Howard Zinn book? Mm -hmm. The a long time ago. Um, I I could I mean it it's like seven thousand pages long, and I think I read the first chapter in tiny teeny print. And, that may uh, be what I did also. Yeah, <laughs> like now and that you say it was that, just I go, like the first. 10 paragraphs and I was just like outraged <laughs> and like throwing my shoes against the wall right. like fucking god damn it right right I we're may terrible have, I may actually have just seen Goodwill Hunting and thought that I read Howard's in oh okay because he's mentioned That's in the fight legit. scene right that is legit uh -huh. but it's actually sort of a beat thing for what like it, it, he references it as sort of a like oh, okay then you read Howard's in like that bar scene where he yeah levels that guy right and then oh yeah the, and then how about them apples how about them apples right yeah i got a phone number skyla <laughs> are those accents good in um that movie? i find that people from boston often do the most tortured boston accents did you uh because you do a good one. i mean your accent you i mean you don't have it but you can slip into it pretty quickly yeah you can slip it like people can get people can get rid of it but then yeah, slide back that's into kind it. of the I'll see old Cleo interviews and my Boston accent was still like right right there and uh and I don't know when it slipped away from me but like probably one of the most painful things that someone can say to me is like you don't sound like you're from Boston and it's just like oh yeah right because you know because you like it I do. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. like my Boston accent. When, when I went to uh, I went to college for like a month, and I went to uh, Emerson, and one of the professors. Now I went to Catholic school in Boston, where I was like taught. My education was all around becoming. I was educated by the nun, nuns who taught me to be a secretary. That was like my education. Right. So um, I took a few years off before college and. When I finally got to college, it's like my my uh, my ex my academic experience was pretty limited. I hadn't read a lot of books. Any the books that I did read outside of school, I just kind of like picked for myself. Like my favorite writer was like John Irving, and my favorite books were Hotel New Hampshire. Like I was a big John yeah, Irving fan. Yeah, and um, that's a good and place so to when start. I got John to, Irving is that's a, right? that's a solid author. Me yeah, too. It's a, it's a, it's a, those are some good words I, and images. That's a good place to you know. But at the time, I was not confident. That um, I, I didn't have the confidence in my uh, in my choices in my intellectual right. pursuits enough to like stand up for myself. So I had this one teacher for a class called Voice and Articulation, <laughs> and I forget his name. But in in the f the first day of school, the first day that I was in his, or within the first week of being in his class, he said to me. You need to lose your Boston accent because people will think that you're stupid. And when I said that John Irving was my favorite writer, he said, um, well, that makes me question how much you've read. And it was just like he just got to the heart of like my deepest insecurities. And so I lost my accent and I, you know, I pretended to read 
Howard Zinn. (laughs) (laughs) My God, I I think I read as much. (laughs) That's a good story. That's a really good story. And that's really interesting, too, because you sought out somebody in a weird way. You psychically sought out somebody who would confirm for you all of your fears. Oh, my God. It was. And later on, the Boston accent would be so we would fall so hard for it, starting probably with Goodwill Hunting and then not letting go of it until maybe a year ago after spotlight we went okay we've that's, okay, a, that's pretty good done. run yeah that's good let's find a new one we get yeah. it it's great and we still enjoy it but now but let's move on to yeah. a different type of yeah person i think our regional accents have become more pronounced hey this is Kay, and i have some letters to cleo shows coming up Boston, Paradise, Rock Club, uh, November 16th, 17th, 18th. We're having vinyl release party for all three of our albums. On Thursday the 16th, we'll be playing Aurora Gorealis. On the 17th, we'll be playing Wholesale Meats and Fish. On the 18th, we're playing Go. It's going to be awesome. And if you go to letterstocleo.net, you can purchase bundles for passes to all the shows and vinyl. Or you could just buy individual tickets on Ticketmaster.com. See you then. Hey, everybody. If you want to get a hold of us, write us at rockoutwithyourdocout at Gmail. Or you can follow uh, at Kay Hanley, at Gregory Barron. Uh, you can join the Rock Out With Your Doc Out uh, community page on Facebook, uh, which quite people have joined, a few people have joined, and I don't think anyone knows what to do once we're there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can ask us questions, make suggestions. Um, we're open to any of it. And we will, if you suggest something and we see it, we will watch it. We've done that quite a bit. Oh, and at Rock Out Doc Out. At Rock Out Doc Out. And on also Twitter. at Podcan uh, over on the SoundCloud Network of the Podcan. We uh, network of uh, podcasts. Oh, we Something. have um, "You're Living All Over Me" with me and Amira, and then just randos, just some rando ones. Me and Gil Martin, <laughs> uh, just some random, random stuff. Have you ch- chit chatting with people? I just chat, chit chatting with people. Sometimes I'll just do an interview with somebody and then yeah. never put it up. I did like a really long one with Jimmy Pardo that was super funny, and I haven't put it up yet. I want to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should put it up. Um, Talk to us. Tell us what to do. Tell us what to do, and then we're, make it so lost. we can come do this live because we want to. <laughs> screen a movie in your town or at least come and talk about one so yeah. think about that Kay can play music I can do a stand up like that let's make fun. a thing it'll be fun and we'll charge $75 a ticket okay or $7.50 or $7.50 yeah we'll he misplaced that a decimal like point right <laughs> that second price seems about right east coast west coast east coast was puffy west coast was unite east coast was biggie west coast was Tupac come on now you're messing with lives here. You just knocking like you were scared, man. <laughs> scared. Mr. Cameron, could you say hello to my big friend? <laughs> Even though we was going through our drama, I would never wish death on nobody, you know what I'm saying? Because ain't no coming back from that. And I make music to bring us together, not to separate us. And all this east and west that needs to stop. It's an east-west rival. Let's make it seem as if Bad Boy Records had something to do with shooting a Tupac Shakur. If FBI was following my son, where were they that night my son was shot? You know, I was thinking, like, God damn, you know, something real fishy is going on. I was stopped and ordered not to uh, go any further. I go, DR, he goes, yes, death row records want you dead. Law enforcement officers were working for gangsters, known felons basically organized crime. There were certain people within the DA's office who've known about these things all along. You know, had it been just your ordinary drive-by shooter, we would have solved it a long time ago. 
stop rolling because this has nothing to do All right. with the okay. interview. Why did you decide to come forward with it? Guilt. If you knew who killed Tupac, would you tell the police? Absolutely not. I transported monies to arrange the hit on Beast Mall. And do you think the same person was responsible for the two killings? Yes. And LAPD has known this all along. Why? I would like to know why. Miss Wallace would like to know why. It's Greg Barron. And I'm Kay Hanley. And this is Rock Out With Your Doc Out. A podcast where we watch and review rock and roll doc or just music documentaries. Music documentaries. Because yeah. this week it's not a rock doc. It's a It's not a rock doc. doc. It's a it's a what did you call it? It's, it's a, a hip hop doc. doc. Oh my god, hip hop talk. It is. It is a hip hop doc. We I I really had wanted to because the great thing about the rock documentary is um you don't have to have any information about the movie. I mean the music. You don't have to Yeah, you know, we we've talked a little bit about that fact that you you actually grew up liking hip hop and yes. rap, and I'm just old enough where it wasn't a thing until I was older. Yeah, and then I felt sort of almost like ah, you weren't really invited. Yeah, it's not that it's, <laughs> I never hated you it. Weren't. I was always surprised by people that were like, "That sh- that stuff is shit." I was like, "Is it any more shit than the Circle Jerks?" Like it's right. It's all. It's all not Mozart. It's all like it's, pop music. It's a low yeah. f- art form. Yeah. And I recognized it as being um, punk rock. Like I recognized it as being, yes, you know. Subversive. Subversive. Danger, and, uh, dangerous. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Of a culture, of a time, of a moment, of mm-hmm. a mindset, of a point of view. And then when it became this, but it was, but at the beginning, you know, the stuff that crossed over was still pretty, you know, the radio stuff was pr- pretty easy to get and Maybe dirty, but never yeah. violent. No, or about violence. You know, not that it was meant to be violent, but then, um, but then there, but then there was that. You know, so then it becomes that East Coast. Like before, I'm I'm barely paying attention to it, uh, and suddenly there's rap. There, people are getting shot. Right, right. I have like I like I really was not. Um, if it was on, I liked it and listened to it, and I could identify people from the radio, but I really didn't have any sense of the world at all. Mm-hmm. I remember the, maybe I remember NWA because if you live in California and you were anywhere near the riots. Right. Right. Like it, yeah. Right. Like I just remember that the outgrowth good of that. Good movie. It, yeah. That was a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. And white people loved Snoop. Yes. White people he's funny didn't, and like he's when stoned. white people say they listen to NWA, I was like, well, Yes, but you heard Snoop at parties. And he managed to bridge the gap between like Gangsta and Will Smith somehow. Yes. Just was like also- goofy, funny, but also like with all the trappings of, but he was a lover, not a fighter. You know what I mean? Like 100%. he was like, 100%. he was all about the ladies and the bouncing cars and like his money and, you know, being surrounded by the gangsta shit and being a crip. But like- and flashing the gang signs, but he was not about the fighting or the guns or any of that shit. Right. Yeah. He was about the hood, the neighborhood. Yes. Not the hood, the neighborhood. The neighborhood. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And the East Coast stuff, I didn't have any affinity for at all. I didn't know at all. I didn't know any yeah. of it. I didn't know Biggie. I didn't know Mira. So the, the, mo- the movie so that we, we watched this week was uh, Biggie and Tupac. It was a 2002 documentary about 
Biggie and Tupac in their murders, a uh, 2002 movie by Nick Broomfield. Uh, Tupac was murdered in uh, Las Vegas, September 7th, 1996. Biggie was killed in Los Angeles, right over in Hollywood on like Fairfax, um, March 9th of 1997. Right, uh, it was at the Peterson Car At, at, the, the, at, car at the Car place. Museum. Yeah, and yeah. they were having like some kind of like the Vibe Awards or something. Right. And- right. Uh, you know, that's a very well-traveled bit of real estate over there. It's hard to imagine, like... It's museums and delicatessens. Yeah. You know, it's actually a pretty, like, yeah, it's a, it's it's a fairly square... It's, <laughs> you know? It's, it's, a like, fairly squ yeah, it's a fairly square part right of town. It's right down You're the right. street. It's a, it's a couple of blocks away from the Grove. Right. On one side, and then, like, right. Wilshire heading towards, like... Yeah, and then there's and then there's like then there's a lot of Hasids. Like it's a it's a very like it's a it's really kind of a for it's an area that people actually walk in, Los Angeles. Like oh, it's yeah. sort of one of those sort of yeah. it is a place where people sort of walk it's around. It's like Mid Wilshire. Mid Wilshire, yeah. exactly, exactly. So uh, um, these guys got they were um, apparently they started their careers kind of together. They were friends and um, colleagues. And then they became enemies. And a lot of people think that they became enemies because of their relationship to Suge Knight, who is kind of like he was a kingmaker, head of Death Row Records. Uh, everybody knows Suge Knight. Right. And then, Suge Diddy, Knight. and then P. Diddy. And had, then P. So Suge Knight was West Coast. Right. P. Diddy and Bad Boy Records was East Coast. And there the Twix shall meet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So they got into some kind of fight about something. And they had like a feud, but it didn't seem like a really serious feud. It was just kind of like, some of it was sort of like that fakery of like Oasis and Blur or Beatles and Stones. Like it was, a lot of it was so just like that feud was hyped. Right. It was always hard to tell with this stuff, like what was, because <laughs> what was real and what wasn't. Yeah. So, um, and this movie seeks to, so, because there's also the issue of the movie and the filmmaker. Right. So, the filmmaker is an Englishman named Nick, Nick Broomfield, who sort of came of age in the in documentary filmmaking. Probably most of you have some sense of this, but this comes in the wake of Michael Moore, who mm. sort of created the Gonzo documentary that in a way. That idea of like I'm also verite. a character yeah. in this movie. I'm yes. gonna be. I'm the guy. I've got my camera, and you see me trying to get in places that I can't. Right. Right. So now this is an Englishman who's sort of copped the same thing. He's he he's won some awards. He's done some he's done everything from war stuff to, you know, pop music documentaries. But he made the before that he made the ill-fated Curtin Courtney documentary, the right. one that seeks to blame Courtney for right. for, for Kurt's for death. Kurt's death that she, right. Yeah, the the idea is that she he's going to try and prove that she murdered Kurt. <laughs> which I didn't see that. It's Awful. I mean, there's a moment where he's like, "This is the kind of filmmaker." So he, he starts is. out with like kind of like the end game in mind, and then right. the film is just like in the service of proving whatever yes. his thesis is That's in right. the first place. Okay. And there were some gotcha. people. Look, you know, this is this is pre-internet, and there were people that believed. And I remember this. I remember hearing this like not that long after Kurt died. Like, oh yeah, man, Courtney had Kurt killed, or Courtney. Yeah. You know, and I'm like. Ah, She's a, I mean, I know a lot of bad things about her, but I just don't think it was that complex. Like, yeah, you know, Courtney seemed to be freely just doing whatever she felt like doing. And she know. loved that guy. 
And she, she did. didn't just love him. She loved being his wife. Like she loved him in private, but it seems like, like she really loved the public nature of being yes. Kurt's wife. Yes. And they were sick junkies. And, yep. they, and they were both dramatic. They were both dramatic and yep. they were both difficult and they were yep. both super on drugs when he died. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but just the idea that like, like there's a part in the movie where he's sitting on a train track with one of the, there was a band called the mentors who I think going back looking at them, they may be, they may have been complete racists, but they were, sort of <laughs> a, they were, nice. a, they were sort of a metal band that wore black hoods. Um, and, and, and they played like gore, metal or something you know, they, anyway and i think maybe one of those guys was a part of he maybe either killed kurt or was one of the people that was a part of having kurt killed it was ridiculous it was wow. a ridiculous movie so so you have that so coloration have to your experience your yeah. experience with this movie yeah. yeah to me it seems like and you know i went back and like googled some of his other films and to me just based on based on biggie and tupac and then like the other movies that he's done it seems like he's about he's less about the music than he is about the controversy yes and like so his filmmaking was about covering the controversy and the who did it and and really the the fact that they the music was incidental. And in fact, he could not, one of the things that, one of the, there were, there were some serious problems with this movie, but one of them was that, and I'm not saying that this is his fault, but they couldn't get Tupac's family to clear any of the music. So there's no Tupac music no, no, there, in the Tupac there, movie. There's no, yeah, there's no Tupac. There's <laughs> not only that, but there are, there were parts of this that were such parody. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna play some clips, but there, he inserts himself in the movie, and it's almost as like you go, okay, he's got like a prop camera and a prop boom, and he's gonna run oh in. Oh my god! He runs in yes. every place with his stuff. He's got the boom, and he comes running and into the so scene. It's so unnecessary. It's a hundred percent so superfluous that yeah. he has to like run in way down. So it's yeah. like in many of the shots all you see is just like his arm and like the boom mic, right. which it's, is so stupid. Yeah, it's just like, this is happening and we're only going to have this moment and then he goes into somebody's house and he managed to square himself so there's sort of a shot of him and then he walks out of came Like, it just, I was like, oh, we're not in good hands. Yeah. We're not in good hands. Like, we're not going to, however. It is very well mic'd. The sound is delightful. Right. <laughs> the sound is better than the film. Yeah, yeah. And I, but he is the guy, the guy that has like the kind of the interviews where he's talking to, uh, um, Suge Knight's friends, friends, buddy, who was also there. Oh my God. Who yeah. raps. Right. Yeah. And then he's, and he's got, and he's doing a long interview with a guy in a field who has a, well, I'll, 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 I'll look some of this stuff up, but it, yeah, it, I really was like, I, I had to fight to stay in it. Yeah. For tell a certain point. Then I realized well, anyway, did you, I mean, did you feel, did you, were you in, were you drawn into the movie? It was very, it was frustrating. And I felt like he was paying attention to all the wrong shit. But in the end, I ended up really caring for Valletta Wallace, who was Biggie's mom. Right. And I thought, you know, he included her a lot and she cleared a lot of his music, I guess. And, and she just, she seemed like she really loved her son 
So the fact that I cared about her so much by the end means that he did a good job with her and like in the way he kind of placed her in the movie and how he kept coming back to her. Another recurring theme was the police officer, Russell Poole, who was LAPD. They kept coming back to him because he was investigating Biggie's murder, kept getting the runaround and was ultimately kicked off the case. But he seemed to think that dirty LAPD was responsible. And I was surprised to find out that all of Death Row's security or a lot of Death Row Records security and Suge Knight's personal security was provided by Moonlighting LAPD, which is so fucked. Yeah. I didn't know that. So so here's what's interesting about it. When you go back and look at it, there are pieces of this that are 100% out of a great cop movie. Like this is, I mean, there are, the Rampart scandal goes on. There are people on the payroll. You find out later on after this, that the guy who was the cop that was moonlighting as the bodyguard was undercover FBI. Right. Right. So that's what? It's all so weird. Some of these guys are dead. A couple of weeks, the, the, the old, remember the old, the old police officer that drives around? Yeah, the Compton police officer. Yeah. Yeah. He just got arrested for, he and his son just both got arrested like this year for- You're kidding. Trafficking. No. Drug like trafficking? Huge drug trafficking. They yeah. were- um, Yeah, the Whites, I think it was their last name. They were Reggie Jr. and Reggie Sr. Yeah. And Reggie Sr. took the camera crew- around to show them the various neighborhoods in Compton where people would hang out and stuff like that. And he was really sweet. And then uh, Reggie Jr. was the Compton cop, former Compton cop who graduated to running Death Row Records while Suge was in prison. Right. Which was also crazy. And he kept cock-blocking all the attempts. Reggie Jr. kept cock-blocking uh, Broomfield from interviewing Suge in prison, which he went to prison at the end of the movie. I don't know if we want to get into that now. You have some. Yeah. You have some clips that you would like to play well, and yeah. discuss. Here's here's one, and this is just sidebar that has nothing to do really with. Um, this is just Biggie rapping, but there's a moment during this rap where another guy jumps in and sings along with him, and I forgot that this was a thing in hip hop. So I'm just going to play this. Hopefully, this will. Biggie used to open for Tupac. There was a point in rap for like a maybe two years where somebody would just sing also off key with like off key like that. Yeah. That was like a thing. Do you remember thing, that like, at all? You got what I need. Right, right. And you say she's just a friend. Who right. Was that guy? What was that weird moment? That's so Like strange. bad singing was a thing. It was like bad thing, but it was like in Well, hip-hop. it was like, I'm such a raw rap badass motherfucker that when I sing, I'm, I can't, I'm going to sing badly because that's how much of a shit I do not give. It's like they put Anthony Kiedis on all of their records. Uh, <laughs> I just forgot about that. I forgot that that was a thing. Like it, went, it went away, but I, I forgot that that was a thing, like that people would sing 
that you know it didn't yeah there was a lot of them yeah where, where people would just and it's kind of cool like it's actually dissonant but then and, that turned into people singing for real then they started getting people to like all the good stuff in music like it gets ruined once top 40 radio gets a hold of it and yes and major labels and stuff and then the next thing you know you have uh Right, What's so that then that bad name? singer guy goes, "Well, what are we going to do now?" And then someone said, "Don't worry about it, T Pain, because what I have is called auto. What I have is called auto tune, and we're going to put it on that Tupac song. We're going to put it on, and it's never going away. I'm on that's a boat. Amazing. I'm on a boat. I should. Do, that's what I should do. Is I should give the oral history of rap music, having known four or five artists. What's to stop you? I mean, I I, I took a picture with Nas once, and I didn't know who he was. His mom watched my TV really? show. Oh, really? And he asked if he could have a photo with me that he could send to his mom's. And you were like, "Who are you?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, man." Like, like, what do you do? And he goes, oh, "I'm in music. I well, that's cool." And uh, he didn't say, he, "I'm the fucking voice of a generation." No. Wow. No. He said, can I have a picture kind of, of my mom's? Thing. And then he got, he nervously gave the camera to the <gasps> door guy and put his arm around me. And no then way. we did the photo. And then, uh, and then he was like, yeah, I'm, my name's Nas. And I, and then I, I had that like, oh man, like, I think I went clear. That's how wide I am. Like, I just, I feel like I was wearing penny loafers and a button. Like, I just went Dan Coyle with it. Wow. I just was like, yeah. Yeah, so that was just, I wanted to, I just, I needed to like, uh, to touch base with that um, <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> because I did find parts of this movie hard to stick with, and then yeah. I pulled little things out yeah. um, um, that I that I liked. And then there was, but what I wanted, the thing I wanted to describe about him as a filmmaker, and if you go, if when you scroll through the movie, you don't even have to watch it, just pull it up on Netflix and then scroll it. And you'll see plenty of Nick. He bursts into every scene. There he is again. With his, yeah, there he Nick. is with his camera again. So at some point, there are, there are moments of this documentary where you go, what part is this for? What is the... Because he doesn't really stay. So he's going to go hear some unreleased Tupac music. Right, from some guy in the neighborhood. So he meets a hinky dude in an alleyway who <laughs> plays... A song on a boombox while a helicopter flies over. Right. It's so absurd. It it seems it, this again is like a Spinal Tap, like or it's like. like a, why did you put this in here? The, that whole ten minutes of the movie was just so pointless. Except was it? Oh. Michael was trying to sell us some of Tupac's earlier unheard music. Now, when he's saying that, Michael's so, down an alleyway. Yeah. Like that's not how you buy music. Like, maybe he hasn't maybe Nick doesn't know the, the difference between music and cocaine because I'm like this guy's on a cell phone in a beanie in a in a in a uh, uh, a down jacket in an alleyway so that and he's acting all shifty fuck is he sketch and nervous yeah yeah he he's makes this now worth several million dollars here he is talking to Dana who co-owned the music But that's not what they show. He's on the phone talking to Dan, yeah. but then a cop shows up. So he talks to the cop. Hello. Yeah. What's going on here? Just doing some filming. Okay, well, don't yeah. put that in my face. Well, don't you put that in my face. No, that's what he does, dude. He's going to burst in. He's going to be in your bathroom tonight when you get there with his headphones <laughs> and his boom. And he ain't going to ask. And has refused to license yeah, it to us. So we were interested to see what Michael had. So the police are always everywhere. Right? So they go down an alleyway. Now they're in a. Now they're in yep. behind a garage. No, but dude, what happened there? And he. I don't know. Something wrong. Yeah. 
And then he he he. Athene two packs mine. Anyway, he plays it for him in an alleyway. I don't right. have that. We don't end up, up hearing it because yeah. of the helicopters, because of the bad sound, because the cassette. It's won't a cassette. Work. Yeah, yeah, and then the cassette stops. Like it's. Yeah. But it. Either that should be the entire movie. Like right. I kind of, there were side roads. I was like, just make this your movie. <laughs> Let's it's like you just going movie. down, going down. You're missing Random the movie. alleys in Compton with like a friend of an <laughs> uncle of a cousin of Tupac. I mean, look, I and will like, say, I will say because you're like a white Englishman running around interviewing people in Compton. Like good. That's balls, man. I mean that because it they could have you could have been taken out right I mean obviously yeah. he's but but that's the other thing that the, this kind of illustrates is that like that being a star fucker is not just limited to like the world of like comedy or music or films it's like hip hop is just as bad because the more peripheral the guy or gal that that Broomfield interviews the more they're willing to be like, but look at me, look at me. And they'll talk, they'll just like spill the fucking beans. And even there was this one cop that kept coming back into the movie, this guy, right. this cop named Hacky. He had all kinds of information about, like, was he LAPD at He's one the point? guy that ends up being undercover FBI. Oh, he's the one. He's undercover FBI. Cause when he's like, why oh, were you, okay. so you, cause when he asks him, this is okay. I will say this. If you watch this, and then go online and get information about what's happened since. Yeah. This is interesting. Like, it's a fine source if you want to go, what happened to this guy? Oh, my God. For instance, Russell Poole died talking about Biggie last year at a police station, had a heart attack. Who? Which one? Russell Poole, the, the main Shut guy. Shut your mouth. They're, they're making a film called L.A. Brennanth, Labyrinth. Oh, Johnny Depp playing, a labyrinth right a labyrinth and Johnny Depp is playing <laughs> Russell Poole how do you know this because I looked, looked it up, up. yeah because <laughs> I looked it up because I wanted this to be good for the people listening to it because oh, I had a feeling we were both going to so be like glad you did but he's so so actually he could go back and make like 10 movies because I want to know what happened to that cassette tape and I want to know yeah. I want that song and I want that dude to be there with it like he was fascinating the people you know um uh there's a uh uh yeah like the the ancillary people are right in, yeah in, and there are pe the ancillary people are have varying degrees of sincerity like russell Poole, i felt like was a really sincere guy he was the lapd that got kicked off the case and i think was pretty ostracized if his story's real it's yeah. off and he's that's if what this his movie story's should be real, about then that's so messed up Yes. what happened to him and what happened to the information like it his story makes you believe like before i saw this movie i always thought that like the the stories about the lapd cover-up of like they really elevated these murders to a status they didn't deserve i thought right. yeah. it's just like some dudes getting killed outside of like a fucking tyson fight or <laughs> right. outside you know it's like who right. would just beat someone up and you know Tupac, before he died, he had just beat the shit out of some guy outside right. the Tyson fight. Right. And um, granted, it turns out one of the stories that Hacky told was that that was a setup in and of itself, that Suge Knight set 
up that fight. He was the one who kind of like planted the seed in the ear of Tupac that, you know, that this guy that he beat up had like stolen a gold chain or something like that. And so he set up Tupac to have that fist fight to take the heat off of him for actually orchestrating Tupac's murder. It is said by several people, Hacky, Gene the Bodyguard, and Russell, that um, that Tupac was planning to leave Death Row Records and take all of his music with him, that Suge already owed Tupac $10 million, and that- Oh, wow. And that that right. was why he was just like, sorry, you sorry. gotta go. Right. You gotta go because I don't. I'm not paying you ten ten million dollars when you take your music and go over to Bad Boy or whatever. Right. Or wherever he was planning on going. And Tupac's a tough one because you know you get these varying stories, and then he had no access to him. My favorite is so Tupac was in films, like he was in yeah, feature he was films, an actor. right? So, but at, at a certain point, <laughs> because he has no rights to any of this, he says. uh, I, I think I can find the clip, but he basically says, uh, Tupac loved acting. <laughs> and then they show a clip of him with his friends putting on a wig yes! and imitating Rick James. It was like, amazing. that's what he has to back it up. It's like, well, that. <laughs> yeah. Not really it, acting, yeah, like, it's but so, like, the, I go, it's that amazing, is so though. the movie you're making. That is the movie you're making. And then he, <laughs> he does it again, and Tupac he goes, uh, instead of just saying, like, he's an excellent mimic. He said something else he grand does great about him. And then he does, yeah, and then he's doing Pacino and Scarface. Yeah, and it's, like, it's like, he can do great impressions. His impressions are so great that he and can he's do like, Shakespeare. And he's like, my little friend, my big friend. And then yeah. everyone's laughing because they're scared of him. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was a good Al Pacino impression. And then they gloss over things like when he'd been in jail for rape. Right. You know, like that kind of like, what? Wait, but, wait go he back go, to that. He went back to jail for, you know, or had been accused of rape. You know, right. I don't. Uh, but he was in jail for it. Yeah. So I, it yes. was more than just an accusation. You don't go to jail. Well, that's the thing. Like, like this, the web of this is so huge that really yeah. you can only pick a piece of it. Yeah. You know, like you can pick just Biggie or just Tupac or you can pick just the crime, just do the forensics yeah. of the crime. I want to see that movie, Greg. I know, well, there's apparently four or five movies coming oh. out this year. Oh, so you're year. saying I can see that movie. I think you can see yeah. some version of it. Um, um, none of them have Nick Bromfield running in. I kind of, I sort of, uh. I believe, um, the Mr. Show used to do, there was a character, a yes, Mr. On, Show documentary, uh, and he was sort of was, a couple uh, of guys. It was Ronnie Dobbs. In Ronnie Dobbs, cops. right. Right. It was the cops guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was sort of Nick Bromfield Yeah, the guy from Cops. Right. Yeah. Odenkirk's character. Odenkirk is the who, Englishman, is following right. him around. Yes. Right. That's where he got it. Yeah. Oh, their whole, their it's whole, all coming together for All me. their comedies from our, our you know, that they do those English characters that can't get through an interview. And it is based on that Stone Roses interview where the two of them won't talk. <laughs> like, it was like, it's Oasis. It's like, actually, it's the Stone Roses, then, then Oasis. But yes, yeah, it's kind of, the film is sort of at times super ridiculous. At, at times? Yeah, most of it. I think most of the time. Yeah. Okay, so at 41... 45 hacky this is the officer i feel like he went to to jail but anyway let, let's go to that at the time of his death tupac was owed over 10 million dollars by death row 
Just before his murder, Tupac told Hackey and others he'd be leaving death row and taking unreleased songs worth more millions with him. Hackey regards these as the real motives for Tupac's murder. He complained, though, that my questions were too vague. So you think what? You think I should be more specific? Be, be more specific and direct with your questions. Okay, do you think Suge Knight orchestrated the hit? Saved by the pager. <laughs> Pregnant uh, Based upon what I've been told within the industry and based upon what I knew for a fact that was going on, uh, see, Tupac was leaving a record company, okay, because Tupac didn't need Suge Knight. He'd had other, several other offers. Um, I would have to say in a sense that he had something to do with the orchestration of the shooting of Tupac. So tell me, do you think that the two murders, the two killings, were connected? Biggie Smalls and Tupac? My personal opinion, again. Um, yes, I believe they're both connected. And do you think the same person was responsible for orchestrating the two? Yes. All right. And that person's in Death Row Records. Yeah. Okay. That conversation took about 10 minutes longer than it had to. It had to. And also, now the movie's over. <laughs> and there's still an hour and four right. minutes left. <laughs> the most credible guy in the whole thing, who turns out to be an FBI informant, uh, who actually stops the filmmaker to instruct him on filmmaking. Yeah. Ask more specific questions. Right. Be more direct. Be more direct. Right. But then he doesn't answer directly. Then right. Well, that's, like, he wanted well, to play his part. I, in a <laughs> he, sense, there's a feeling <laughs> that maybe... It's almost like he's saying, <laughs> fucking give me the line. You're not reading the line right. Cue me. <laughs> what, no, you say, is that I get to do this pregnant... I get to sit back and my beeper goes off and... It's still 1990. What year is this? It was 2002. 2002. Uh, it really feels like it. So what he, Shirts are still what really he big. was saying after that was that Biggie then had to be killed because the the whole situation was getting too close to yeah. Suge and Death Row right. and the LAPD connection. So Biggie had to be killed to take the heat off them and maybe put it on you know, bad boy or whatever. Right. But Christopher Wallace, Biggie Smalls did, I mean, he was just one, th one thing, another thing that I learned from watching this movie is that he was just like a really nice guy who loved his mom yeah. and just wanted to take care of her. Went to private school. R well, I mean, private school ish. It's still, it, it looked pretty, you know, it he definitely didn't leave. The, it's not like he went to Connecticut. No, 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 no. I mean, I went to private school too, but it was in Dorchester. It was St. Greg's. Did you guys wear you know? uniforms? Yeah. Oh, you did? Catholic school uniforms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess yeah, so. But that, it was not private school. I couldn't tell if they were trying to, I mean, I didn't, school. I couldn't tell what they were trying to say because it's that thing sometimes you're like, yeah, because you I think to? they were trying to build him up as being like privileged. Or, and he, he didn't grow up like impoverished or anything. I mean, his mom worked and they they had a good life she says that they had a seven room house growing up and right and that a lot of his poetry that he turned into rap music was sort of like a fantasy of tough humble beginnings which right. she he didn't really that. he couldn't really right. own it she goes yeah now the 
guy who lived in the shack that's like a character we right. didn't live in the shack like we had a seven room like we you know, like <laughs> yeah she's like and she's super articulate and and uh um and yeah. just loved him she loved him yeah he was a performer but you know dre is sort of that same thing where like he he wrestled he you know he had a few personalities before he landed on this guy straight out of you know what i mean like yeah it, it, i think everybody because it's a it's i think we really desire especially music we just has to be authentic yeah because right like that you know has to be authentic yeah and and i think he really was i think he was super yeah. authentic um well crazy but you can make up stories and also be super wealthy yeah or from or come from wealthy yeah, you beginning. don't have to be they're yeah. generally not though in like well then again in rock and roll you can i mean we've yeah. talked about the the strokes and that whole thing you know, they're all that like rich motherfuckers yeah or, and they still I, seem I mean, authentic I, and authentically dangerous and like pained yeah yeah and Lots that's of, what that but that also yeah. that music felt like like uh private school boys who were fucking too high you know hmm. and too bummed out and yeah and and uh and this was gonna be the best moment of their lives and it what turned out it was mm -hmm. it was over very quickly yeah right now i don't know if this stood out to you at all but there's the cop we talked about earlier the one that was nice and ended up getting arrested last year for drug trafficking oh man sun. that breaks my heart yeah but it, those cop stories are real man yeah you know and the divide between police officer and criminal in some places is just very thin mm. there's russell pool this interview strikes me as a bit egregious and has nothing to do she knew about their investments no no investments so they're talking this, this makes is the me one, so mad this is the one woman they interview the whole time and this she was is, so superfluous she's and stupid she is the here, I, I let him set it up just like punched my tv this if it wasn't such an awesome tv it, I would <laughs> this makes no sense well, it's the girlfriend of officer david mack these I are the two cops from back up just a little bit officer, so these are the two this is covering the two cops from the these are co this conversation is covering the girlfriend who shared two of the police officers who may have been involved in Biggie's killing, but were definitely involved in the Rampart scandal, which was the Rampart's uh, precinct yes. of the LAPD. Yes. And their names were... Um, and that's a fascinating... That's a whole, that's a whole other, other story that story. was crazy and yeah. amazing. And their names are as follows. Uh, Mac and Perez yeah officers mac and officer officers mac and perez yes so from they, the ramparts they're trying precinct. to they're trying to find either of them they can't they find this girl who worked at the police station i believe and she was, was the girlfriend of she was also the girlfriend both of them of both of them it's totally weird and she's sitting in a room with her lawyer who's, who's a actually disgusting the one piece of shit. asking these questions for no reason there's no this has nothing just for to like do. the salaciousness to put him he's a disgusting so here here ugh. here it is for you to enjoy officer rafael perez officer max former partner and best friend who's convicted for the sale of drugs racketeering and falsifying evidence officer kevin gaines who was having an affair with suge knight's wife sharita who was later killed by a fellow lapd officer in a road rage incident Sheesh. 
Russell also suspected Harry Billups, aka Amal Mohammed, as a possible hitman. He's godfather to Officer Mack's kids. Officer Mack was later convicted for this bank robbery. You had a witness okay. in Big... You went to interview Sonia Flores at her lawyer's office. She was Officer Rafael Perez's girlfriend, as well as the girlfriend of Officer David Mack. I wondered if they represent the new breed of police officer whose values Hackey talked about. What cop doesn't want to be in limelight? You know, everything is about, you know, authority, power, being in control. So, I mean, everybody wants to be around money. Everybody wants to be around, you know, women. It's just... It's not everybody, not everybody. No. Hackey also identified officers Mack and Perez as being present at private death row parties. You weren't driving a, a Jaguar or anything, This right? is Marshal no. Bitkower, Sonia's lawyer. Mack and Perez were alleged to have had lots of money. I asked Sonia if she knew about their investments. No, no investments that I knew of. <laughs> you just had a good time with him. Hmm? I, is the investments question? What, what I know. Of, what's that, the investments? What are we doing? And plus, here? so he, so so Broomfield is asking about the investments, but the lawyer does not care about the investments. He wants to get to the good stuff. He wants to get to the good stuff because he's a disgusting piece of shit. This is Marshall no. Bitkower, Sonia's lawyer. Mac and Perez were alleged to have had lots of money. I asked Sonia if she knew about their investments. No. No investments that I knew of. You just had a good time with him. Hmm? I just had a great time with him. Did he ever ask you to experiment in a sexual way with mm -hmm. women? Or more than two people or three people? Ugh. Again, this is her Why? lawyer asking her, her lawyer. this question on camera. Nowhere does this fit into this story in any way. And Broomfield didn't fucking ask. No, Broomfield didn't ask. No, her one lawyer. moment, Broomfield's the guy in the room I like. Right, and he's just like, uh, I, don't know. I mean, he lets like, her talk, but he's like clearly like, what the? Right. <laughs> and then you're like, are we, like, it starts to feel, oh my God. Yeah, we did. We did. But. What, with other police officers? Or? Yeah, I had sex with other police officers, yeah. In front of him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just crazy, crazy sex. Talk about their orgies. <laughs> he wants to know. Talk about their orgies. Like, it's so weird. And they're both getting off on it. And it's, it's, I don't know if this guy goes, look, I can get this girl to talk about having sex with the cops. And he went, yeah, all right, let's get that on camera, I guess. Maybe it fits. Or maybe it doesn't, but it definitely doesn't belong in the movie. And well, it's again, so he's all about the scandal and the controversy. He doesn't give a shit about like the music or it's just like get as much of like the dirt on camera as you possibly can. But that's make, his thing. Then make the movie about the cops. Well, he does. But he drag, does. But he why can't. drag those nice? Why drag those nice murders into this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> these horrible police officers and these two gangland hits that are those are fucking those are high style <laughs> hits that were done in a very like th like this shit is so. But he has no story uh, without this incident or the two incidences of the murders, you know, of these very high profile people. Without Biggie and Tupac, he can't get into the girlfriend who has orgies with LAP, her two LAPD boyfriends. 
I just feel and, so bad for this woman. Like, what is she doing there? And who's there? Like, and she trusts her lawyer, and she's you know. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because, like I said, there's about 10 movies in this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, I mean, there's the father, the son cop team that just got arrested. Um, there are all these dirty cops. There's Russell Poole, the guy that no one to listen to, seems so sad. And that those guys, and so at one point, Russell Poole uh, is threatened by his fellow officers and they leave on his desk a schematic of a toilet that has a shit going down the pipe <laughs> and then they write, this is you. <laughs> that, man, that- What does that mean? That's the, that took a lot, like they had, first they had to find a schematic of a toilet with a shit in it. Or draw to, like, it themselves. <laughs> you, you, like you just go to write the plumber's something. manual. Yeah, draw a poop. So what I know is we don't he? have emojis at that point. <laughs> we can't send him the poop emoji, but like you're going down the drain. I don't, like that sat on, it probably like sat on his desk for like four days before he went, wait, this is to me. <laughs> I thought this was like a work thing. Like we like, had to like I, make sure you flush. Don't put your. The message was very muddled. I don't I like think the, they did a good job. No, and it actually. So if you're the, the mafia, you cut off a horse's head and leave it in somebody's bed. That's right. But if you're the LAPD, you mimeograph. Uh, <laughs> you have to mimeo, like You have a, to mimeograph a it too. plumber's manual. That's right. And like. Right. Wait for the guy to understand yeah. a week later, like, oh, this is a a a, a message, a veiled threat <laughs> against me. <laughs> I thought it was a warning about something that was gonna happen in the building. That was one of the many things on my desk that I haven't had a chance it's to like, get to yet. Wow, they're giving me another job, like Yeah. yeah. I'm a piece of I'm the piece of shit. Wait. Wait and then he, yeah, and then the poor guy goes, I this he left the force and Felt suicidal and... So then there was an interesting thing about the bookkeeper, which was kind of like... Uh, oh, right. It was just... I felt like there was more to this story than we got, but he was the guy who... There's an interview with this guy named Mark Highland in quotes, the bookkeeper. Right. And he claims to have driven big bushels filled with money from LA to Phoenix to secure the services of a hitman to kill Biggie. And, right. Uh, and right. he was in jail for something else, for delivering money for a for hit. Yeah, for, yeah, for delivering right. the money for the hit. But I wanted to know more about He had about a lawyer him. in his, he had a lawyer in there with him as well. Okay. Who was like, remember oh, what we like, say? Dude, remember you what have we say? federal we immunity. Say? Yeah. But you don't have right. state immunity. Right. Just tell him about that time you fucked those two girls. Did you fuck those two girls? <laughs> Did you, were they both your girlfriend? <laughs> Did you like it? What was it like? Were they? Did they go? Who went first? That's what, lawyer, was, you, that's what lawyers do. Yeah, they they grill you in front of people yeah, about your sex you life. Reveal things. Yeah, that I didn't, was revealed. I don't that understand make you law look at all. Guilty by association. <laughs> what did you say? I don't understand law at all. <laughs> I should. I had no idea. We heard all the wrong shit about law school. I did. It's actually, way funner than we yeah, thought. Yeah, you're allowed to just ask people shit in front of the cameras. So, um, sort of getting to the end of the movie. Broomfield is calling around trying to, you know, the whole time it's been like getting to Suge, talking to Suge, Suge did it. Did Suge do it? Uh, you know, that that's, I guess if there's any running theme through, thread running through the whole thing, it's like Suge being just like a really dangerous guy who probably did this. He does seem, so, he seems genuinely dangerous. He does. He doesn't, so that's he the does. thing that's so interesting. Like the other guys seem... Like dilettantes of yeah. gangster yeah. adjacent. Yeah. 
And then you right. get in with like the re- like you know, and then you're like, oh, that's what the real deal. Like you yeah, know, because some- seems like fucking for real. Yeah, the, the, the scariest people up. in this are the cops. Kinda. Right? The yeah. other cops and And LAPD, I mean, it doesn't take much to remember back to the nineties what just what we knew about LAPD. Yeah. Not not nice, warm, fuzzy people. No. No. Really no, no, no. kind of bad. Corrupt yeah. and and big racist. And yeah. And it's unless t- the black people had shit tons of money and then they would do anything to protect them, like Suge Knight which is why he supposedly had all LAPD as part of his private and company security. Yeah. So, okay, so Broomfield gets on the phone with Reggie Jr., who is, the again, the former Compton cop who is now running death row, who is just, like, completely cock-blocking all of Broomfield's attempts to uh, interview Suge, even though Suge is in prison. So it's like, why is he even... It's not like... Suge has a fucking spokesman when he's in prison, but apparently Reggie Jr. thinks that he does. And it's funny because he gives the example, the, the reason that he says that he doesn't want Broomfield to inter- to interview Suge in prison is because he saw Kurt and Courtney. <laughs> and he was just like, I don't like what you did with that story. I don't like how, how you made people look in that movie. Fair enough. Yeah. And that's the reason that he gives. So that's kind of hilarious. Yeah, but if you were the supersize me guy, I'd think about it. Right. Supersize me, the fat guy from Detroit, any right. of those people. Roger would, and I, me, I respected that as a piece of cinema. Absolutely. But you, but you, you, sir, are a hack. You're the fucking Heidi Fleiss documentary, please. Oh, that's what he said. It was a Heidi Fleiss. It wasn't Kurt and Courtney. Oh, it was Heidi Fleiss. Heidi Fleiss movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah. So he did not appreciate the cinema stylings of Nick Broomfield. So anyway, so what Nick does, of course, is he makes an end run around that and just goes to the prison, which is funny. The prison that he's in is called Mule Creek Prison. And it looks more like a jail, really. Right. Because, so he gets there and the warden... This is this whole scene is so inexplicable. I have so many problems and questions about this last scene. Um, the warden just like kind of takes, you know, Nick and his, you know, and his stupid boom mic and his right. his mic his tape recorder purse <laughs> that he always <laughs> yeah. has with him. And like sound and, purse. And his, Do you have a sound his, purse, Rick? Sound purse. Do you have a sound purse? Oh, there's your sound See, purse right there. Rick has a sound purse, but he leaves it on the fucking floor. Oh my god. So anyway, nice so job, and then he has a new cameraman who uh, I can't tell if he thought that the cameraman did a good or a bad job. He makes comments about the new cameraman. Why you would bring a brand new cameraman to f- try and get an interview with like the main, like the the fucking Moby Dick of your movie right. is like beyond <laughs> me. Like what the fuck? The so, Moby Dick of your movie. So so he gets in and they're like, and first of all, the warden can't find Suge. No, it, but doesn't seem to be concerned at all about like, oh, I can't find it. When so they're out in like they're outside in the yard. The, thank you, the yard. I think that's the technical term yeah. for the yard, the yard yeah. at the prison. Sure. Is the yard. Yeah. So they can't find them, but find some other people to you know some other dilettantes to talk about whatever in our useless conversations. Useless. Yeah. And then um and then they go back inside to Shug's cell block, and Shug is there. 
and the warden goes over and has a private conversation with Suge. And then Suge agrees to the interview. They go back outside of the yard when everyone's gone. Suge comes out smoking a cigar. Like, how's that? Like a big old like Cuban job, yeah. not like mm-hmm. a bullshit cigarillo thing, <laughs> right. which would be against the rules right. of prison, I would think. Unless you're, yeah. But like a big fancy fucking cigar. So what? What? Yeah. And then he talks to him. Yeah. I. What did you think of that conversation? I thought the whole thing was, th- I was like, is this staged? I don't understand how you get a cigar. I got hung up on where you get the cigar. Yeah, I did too. I really shouldn't have. It's a, they, I mean, they're, they're, it's not like uh, they're not allowed human, like I'm sure they're, they're allowed to have things. They can have a cigar. I don't think you reason, can have a cigar. I feel like. You can't have a cigar. You can't have cigarettes. I haven't done any time, so I don't know. Maybe each prison has its own you rules. You never watched like and lock it could up? be a private one. No, I won't watch that stuff. It makes me nervous. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Because you can yeah. kind of relate to those people who are in there and just be like, man, I dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too close, man. I could easily. Me too. <laughs> I, I, it's like, no. Hashtag me too. Dave, my old, my, Dave Anthony is a, was a huge, huge lockup. Huge yeah. lockup fan. We used to, he used to talk about it all the time. We used to talk about shiving people. Oh yeah, and yeah, and yeah. and sell, and having a celly and all that. But I mm-hmm. and my sister used to watch those things constantly. Yeah, and the ones about biker gangs. She, and she oh, loved yeah. the ones about yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I just I it was that, pretty absurd. It seemed absurd. Yeah. I, and then I just didn't care. I was like, I, we got here, and I'm like, I don't, I don't care. So what he does get Suge to say is that um, basically, a I didn't do it, and Snoop is a snitch. Right. Right. Which we knew because we saw Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> we knew Snoop was a snitch. And is he a snitch or is he just tired of this bullshit, man? And also, like, why are you even saying that? Who can't? Yeah. yeah. And if he's a snitch. It's like he's just constantly you, trying to take the heat off Can you off snitch of on somebody who didn't do something wrong? Gotcha. No. I Boom. have to say, you know, we were we're trying to expand the palette and watch more things. And we, we were trying to find something because I am, I am actually more, I am interested. Like it did make me go, Oh, I really need to go back and find it. A couple of really good historic documents about hip hop. Yeah. I, you know, I remember there was a really great one. There were, there were two actually two VH ones, ones about New York and about Los Angeles. And I, I really would like to know more about it to have more of a background in it because part of me felt like a, I felt like a little bit of a dilettante. But this was the white man's version. This is what it was like to be white in that in the world in rap, where you have to go down an alleyway to listen to it because like you're down an alleyway listening to a boombox with a guy you don't know, yeah, and you can only play part of it. That's the white man's adventure in music. <laughs> but it also don't like it here. wasn't. I agree with that, and it. But, at the same time, it wasn't salacious enough to work on that level either. Like it wasn't L.A. Confidential enough. Right. You know, like, he also didn't come it, loaded. Like Michael Moore, whether you like his movies or not, is shouting down the hallway the thing you did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But unprecedented labor, labor, you know, like yeah. the cost. You put more people out of. How do you feel about the fact that you put people out of jobs every day? You know, like. Yeah. Like at least you go, all right, maybe this didn't happen in the order is, but that he's yelling at that guy and that feels real. Right. And he came with a, he came with something. He came, you know, focused where Nick Brumfield's like, I'll figure something out when I get there. I, yeah. Can you tell me? And it's all like, can you tell and me anymore? He has nothing. He has nothing to, and, and even the thing that he thinks he knows for sure, which is that Suge did this 
It's like he's not laser focused on that. He will just like meander off for any shiny object that gets in his way, you know, and it just makes for a very unsatisfying story. And I just feel like I would have appreciated more stuff about the movie. Um, I wish he had had more of an opinion about how Afini, uh, Tupac's mom, just like would not cooperate. She wouldn't help. She wouldn't give give permission for any of the music it's legitimate for her to feel that way but it felt incomplete he didn't even say that she wouldn't give him the in music all, in all of his filmmaking he doesn't handle his um his subjects with any reverence or any respect no. so you walk you're into right. this thing and you're like look people respect kurt and courtney say what you will about them as people or how they live their lives but they were they were a type of artist that people got behind. They meant something to people, especially the people that will watch this movie. And that will be why it works is if the community of people around it believe that you handled it. You can say horrible things, but if you can find out things I don't want to know, mm. but if you handle it with like respect and dignity, and it's like, these are not just two silly, two sort of lightweight rappers that had some silly beef, right? <laughs> these were cultural icons. icons they were, yes. and they were, and they were meaningful and maybe they should or shouldn't have been. That, those are interesting questions to, to you, know, were, you know, were they worth all the praise? Were they really just dudes? Were they good guys? Like, but they definitely, and like, you know, <clears throat> I, I think the uh, Faith... Um, Evans? Uh, yeah, is the one who's making the documentary that's coming out oh, this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About Biggie. She was Biggie's wife. Yeah, so yeah. she had, or she's at least producing it, but she's trying to tell that story. So I guess I felt like I wished it had been handled... But, you know, the way but that's just not his thing. He is a tabloid right. journalist. Right. I think I, you know? I I also think when this was made, it was tabloidy yeah. to white people. Maybe. It was maybe or maybe it was silly. It just didn't feel or maybe to an Englishman. Yeah. It just felt like people don't really care. And I think you get here and you go, no, people actually that's cultural and it's you know, uh, and it's regional and it's you know what I mean? Like it's it, it's about Los Angeles. It is about New York. It is mm -hmm. about like you know, people sort of picking aside a little bit. I do remember thinking, well, actually, I definitely like the, I definitely like the West Coast guys. I definitely had that <laughs> feeling. I did. I remember thinking, well, That's I mean, I, no one's going to ask me. Yeah. And I, and I, and you know, uh, uh, and I'm a Northern California guy, right? But Tupac had some time, did some time in Oakland. So, you know, I picked a side kind of. To go back to one of our first podcasts, your two sides of a coin thing. This was so thin. The only thing that gave it any depth or heart was Valletta Wallace, uh, Biggie's mom. That's the only thing that gave this movie any heart at all. If they had talked to some fans, if, they, if he had made us care a little bit more about why he had any investment in this story aside from just digging up dirt on people. Well, also, or Russell Which Poole. was just depressing. Or Russell, Russell Poole would have like been great. Is Russell like a classic whistleblower? Is he, yeah. is he a guy he that wants attention? They did not treat him with any level of, the level of seriousness that his no, I think story they, deserved. I think they treated him the way the cops did, which is, May, yeah. this guy's a loose cannon, like, this guy's maybe a loose just cannon, like, maybe, maybe he's, he's a crybaby. Yeah. yeah, maybe he's not, yeah. you know, but that's the way it is when you're the lone person. But to me, I'm like, that is a fucking fascinating story. Yeah. And, and he's dead. Those, you know, that's like, that's I don't know so how much weird. I'm so yeah. heartbroken about that. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. And he was sweet. He and was he sweet. It. And you didn't really get until the end 
that his charges were serious, the accusation that he had against the LAPD was his accusations were serious and that he really had a story to tell. I didn't get that really until maybe like the last interview or two with him. Right. And and how involved was he in like how and how hard is it to not have to become part of the gang and be like, yeah, you're either in with in with us or and out get with bought us. off and bribed and right. take the money. Right. Because how, how do you do your work then if everybody's on the take? Yeah. So, um, so how many, uh, how many Tufnels would you give this movie? I'll give it, I'll give it, I'd almost give it three, only that I feel like there's useful, it's like a source material. Sure. It's a good source material. It's funny, but it's hard. If you're looking for what the movie seems to be about, you won't find it. <laughs> if you want, you won't. You won't find, you're not going to really get any, you're not going to, you're going to come into it and go, I feel like Suge Knight might have killed him. And you're going to leave thinking, I think Suge Knight had him killed yeah. somehow. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if Puffy had anything to do with it because they just let that fucking thread go. Oh, totally. Right? Never. But there is cool shit in it to look at and to look up. Yeah. And to maybe if you're a filmmaker, go, look, here's 10. I would give this to a class and go, take this documentary and everybody in the class pick one subject from here that's worthy and do research on that. You know, do a documentary about that. So three for me. Okay. Yeah. Two. Two oh, tough nails. Yeah. It was a, just a penny dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just not good. I was, I'm just. Yeah. And now that we've talked about it, I like it even less. That's funny. I like it a little bit. I don't like it less, but I. Oh, and here's one, the one thing I want to point out. Okay. At one point, I Did forgot this guy exists. Dan Quayle was the vice oh, president right. of the Dan United Quayle. States and was he was the vice president. He got that's funny. and he got uh, he went on a rampage about um, cop killer. I don't even know why this was in the movie because it was about an NWA song. Yeah, nothing. It was just to to cast more aspersions on hip hop culture. Yeah, to make it seem a more dangerous and b more under the microscope of like the federal government and right the, you and know, he also all kept, these guys were under surveillance and, and he, he kind of kept saying i can't believe like a nice company like warner brothers right <laughs> they're fucking all evil yeah just so if you don't if you did not know dan quayle he was vice president under the first bush these are just a few of the quotes from his term as vice president so these are just random like that the Holocaust was an obscene period in our nation's history. No, not our nation's, but in World War II. I mean, we all lived in this century. I didn't live in this century, but this century is history. <laughs> I've made good judgments in the past. I've made good judgments in the future. Wow. Uh, to the United Negro College Fund, he said, who's, and their slogan is, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. He said, you take the United Negro College Fund model that what a waste it is to lose one's mind and not have a mind <laughs> is being very wasteful. How true is that? <laughs> he was fucking wow. amazing. If you look him up, like you could almost build a religion on the way he sees the world because he's a fucking, he's the dumbest. He's truly the dumbest person that we've ever, like, uh, even, wait, what? No, no. Until there's a caveat there, right? Yes, but, but he, there's an asterisk but, but here's, on him here, being the dumbest. Here's the, here's, the, here's the one shade of difference. Okay. 
I know for a fact that the reason Quayle was picked is because George Bush didn't give a fuck who was vice president and they fucking introduced him to three people and he went, he stood next to Quayle, they took a picture, he said, how much taller am I? And they went, and he goes, that's fine. I think because he was young and handsome too. Yes, but he hadn't talked to him. Right. He didn't know he was that a, it was a ding dong. He was a real, he was a real ding dong. Yeah. So, but um, Mars, it, Mars is essentially in the same orbit as Earth. Well, Mars is somewhere the same distance from the sun, which is important. We've seen pictures where there's canals. We believe also water. If there's water, that means that there's oxygen. And if there's oxygen, that means we can breathe. Wow. That was his take on Mars. So truly, you got to look him up because this stuff is, this is like how I talk except for that I, it's, it feels, the patterns are similar, but I feel like I, <laughs> I make a little bit more of a point. Uh, he also believed that homosexuality was a choice and it was the wrong choice. So, the wrong choice. Yeah. We also have to consider people weren't as precise. Politicians are a lot more precise with their language now because everything is quoted and picked apart and disseminated through social media. And so mm -hmm. people were just like pretty fucking free with not, not knowing that they, they couldn't be, or not even being aware that they would be quoted far and wide for you, everybody. That's to, correct. You just weren't as that's nervous correct. about being taken out of context or whatever. So he was just like not being careful he also was a terrible speller, as we know. Yes. And um, and in turn, but the thing about like gays and stuff like that, liberals talked like that too in the eighties. Yeah. It was messed. Up. It wasn't that long ago. Right. So that's that's the one thing I want to say to people. Sometimes I'm like, look, I know it feels like things are awful. Yeah. Or things won't change, but mm -hmm. in the 50 years I've been alive, things have actually changed a like lot. If you, again, if you go back and read history. It was a slow boil Crazy. at the beginning, mm -hmm. right? And uh, centuries of slow boil of people like, right? And we have more things that would be comprehensible. And we do we do always correct. And people, so people are catching up. Sometimes I, I, you want to go to people, hey, hey, hey. You know, people who are older, they're just trying to, they're really trying to reset their meters. It takes a minute. You know, I used to love that Bill Burr thing of, I didn't mind Caitlyn Jenner, like, it's just everybody can't we just have a minute if your friend walked out to go to the bathroom and came back wearing a dress wouldn't you go fuck steve what's happened <laughs> like you would just, it wouldn't just be it wouldn't just be you'd need you'd like have hey some that's okay. questions right you just want to know <laughs> it's like you can't even turn around and ask a question anymore uh, anyway uh all right that's rock out with your doc out yeah bye bye